we're actually going to cover three chapters of Proverbs three times, um, just to scare you a little bit. Um, we're going to talk through Proverbs 5, 6, and 7, and we're talking about a very serious subject, not that the first two weren't, but this one is maybe a little sensitive um, and, uh, and very graphic, because the Bible's graphic. And we're going to talk about the stewardship of purity. And the issue of purity, the, the Bible doesn't stutter at all on this issue. And I just want to read a couple passages to you that I know are familiar to you, um, and uh, just so that we start at this place. 1 Thessalonians 4.3, you don't need to turn there. It says, this is the will of God, your what? Sanctification, your holiness, your separateness. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. And that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things. Just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but who? Yeah, rejecting God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Hebrews 13.4 says, Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will what? Anybody know? Judge. Fornicators and adulterers will be judged. Matthew 5.27, again, these are familiar passages. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Basic truth. Probably all stuff you've heard before. There's so little ambiguity or difficulty here that there's really not much more to say. The rules surrounding your purity, your sexual purity, are clear. Sex was designed by God for his glory and our good and even pleasure. Sex is and always has been for marriage only. Outside of a committed, monogamous, lifelong relationship, it is sin. Period. This is by definition, by God's fiat, by his design, by the creator of the universe, they're his rules. He makes the rules. We live by his rules. So it is and always has been preserved and designed for marriage only. This is the stewardship you and I have been given you want to enter into marriage with your purity intact, guarded, preserved, and protected. That's the stewardship of purity. And, by the way, you're also to enter marriage having carefully guarded, protected, um, and cared for your spouse's purity. Why? Because it's commanded by God. It's your gift a gift you have for your future spouse. It's a demonstration of your submission and obedience to the God of the universe, and it's also a demonstration of wise living. You're not bringing all the consequences of an immoral lifestyle with you into marriage. And those, by the way, who have fallen in this area, repented and been forgiven, will still tell you, and maybe that describes some people in this room, 
if you were to talk to them about it, they will tell you of the sadness and the consequences that follow those bad decisions, even though they're forgiven, even though they've been a recipient of the amazing grace of, of a good and loving, kind God, they bring those consequences with them the rest of their life. And while what I just said is all that maybe needs to be said, we could close in prayer. And there's a lot to think about there. It's very sobering. But there's a lot that can be said about the wisdom of purity, and the reason I know that is because Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 says a whole lot more. And it says it very graphically. And it says it very clearly. The Holy Spirit knows that simply knowing the rules isn't enough for some of us. The rules could not be clearer. There is no ambiguity that sex is for marriage, only for marriage, and ever and always inside of marriage. That's it. It excludes everything else. But it is the human condition that the fear of consequences is also a motivator to obedience. So for some of us, we don't just need to know what the rules are. We need to know what happens if we don't follow the rules. And that is what's described in Proverbs. So for the rest of the session, we're going to focus on the wisdom of purity and the stewardship of that purity And we're going to follow the direction of Scripture under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by looking at the foolishness of impurity. We're going to go through Proverbs 5 through 7. And it says more about the foolishness of immorality than we could possibly cover in this session. My goal in a short amount of time here is to expose you to it so that you get the sense of what the Bible says about immorality. Why? Why? Because we have been given a gift, our purity. And we are to steward that purity very carefully. And we need to understand what happens when we don't do that. Okay? And by the way, if this is an area where you've already fallen, there is grace and forgiveness. 1 Corinthians 6 says, Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Guess what? That describes every one of us. We know that because verse 11, right after that, says, Such were some of you. You maybe weren't all those things, but we're all described there but we were washed, we were sanctified, we were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. You are forgiven. Okay? So, there's two concepts now as we go to Proverbs 5-7. through We're going to come back to 1 Corinthians 6 at the end. And I know this is a difficult area. And by the way, I've taught this a few times. I can predict and I want to predict for you that there's a number of responses to what we're going to do this morning. Some of you are going to be affirmed and encouraged. Some of you might walk out of here somewhat discouraged. And I'm going to do everything I can to not let you be discouraged. But if this is an area where you have a past, you need to keep going back to the grace and forgiveness of God. And I know some of you may walk away from here somewhat rattled by what we're going to do this morning. And I want to encourage you now, you need to do what we've been talking about in our previous two sessions. You need to go get wisdom.
and you need to talk to other people. But Proverbs 5 through 7, um, as I keep saying, is very graphic. And there's two concepts in here that I think we have to understand before we go racing through this. And the concepts are this. There's a repeated discussion in Proverbs that the woman is the adulteress. It talks about an adulteress. We're going to read about the adulteress and the harlot. And those are personified by a woman. And I want you to be very clear that these chapters are recording the teaching of a father to his young sons. And that is why he focuses on that. You need to know that men can also be the adulterer and the harlot. Do you understand? So we're not picking on women here. We're reading scripture as it's presented, but we're also understanding that you can flip it and there are men, maybe even in this room, who, can, who are adulterers, who are the harlot. The Bible does not segregate men and women as if they have different culpabilities or weaknesses in this area. They are the same. It applies equally to all of us. The second thing I want to say is that when it talks about an adulteress or an adulterer, it's really translated the strange woman. Okay? Now, some of you are thinking, I know a strange woman. I'm not talking about personality. Strange woman, in this context, mean, is not a reference to personality. We're talking about anyone who is not your spouse. And that's why I started off reading those passages. The Bible makes clear that the intimate physical relationship between a man and a woman is reserved for marriage. That kind of a relationship outside of that relationship is with a stranger. Got it? So the adulteress and the harlot can also mean adulterer, can be male. And the concept of an adulteress is a strange woman. It is so simple, so clear to understand all of this, that the strange man or the strange woman is anyone who is not your spouse. Okay? So what are the qualities of a stranger involved in immorality? Let's start walking through this. And if you have your Bibles, I'm going to challenge you to stay up with me. And if you lose heart, it's because I'm moving very quickly, then just listen. Because we're going to paint a picture from um, Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 of the person who participates in, in immorality, who initiates it. Then we're going to go through and look at the description in the Bible of the person who responds to that initiation. And then we're going to go through 5, 6, and 7 and look at what are the results of that immoral, improper relationship. And I think it's all helpful as we talk about preserving and stewarding our purity. If you go to Proverbs chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 3, and we're going to look at the initiator in the relationship. What is this person like? And in this case, like I said, it's She's called an adulteress. The lips of an adulteress drip honey. The person who is the initiator in this relationship says sweet things. And it says smoother than oil is her speech. In verse 6, it says that she does not ponder the path of life. The consequences are ignored, is what that means. Verse 6 also says her ways are unstable. This is directly contrary to the description in Proverbs 31 and Titus 2 of a godly woman who is stable in all her ways. 
This is an unstable person. And she has no self-awareness because it says in verse 6, she does not know it. She has no self-awareness. Then if you turn over to Proverbs chapter 6, verse 24, it calls her the evil woman. How many of you, when you were young, decided or said in school, when they said, what do you want to be when I grow up, you raised your hand and said evil? No one chooses that. That is an amazing statement. That the initiator of an immoral relationship is an evil person. Verse 25 talks about her beauty. Sin is fun, people. It's attractive. That's a fact of life. That's wisdom. And it says that she will capture you with her eyelids, which I think is pretty funny. I've never been attracted to eyelids. I don't know if you have. I guess I shouldn't say nobody ever has, but I think the point of this passage is that nobody really is attracted by eyelids. What it's speaking to is the weird fantasy world of immoral relationships. You get infatuated with some aspect of someone who is a stranger, and it helps lead you into the sin. Chapter 7, verse 10. says, Behold, a woman comes to meet him. This is a father talking to his sons. Dressed as a harlot and cunning of heart. She's immodest. She's not preserving, guarding, and protecting what she has only for her spouse. Immodesty is exposing what you have, um, is exposing what is for another for the purpose of getting attention. And in this case, for the purpose of drawing somebody into sin. The cunning of heart speaks of a devious, dishonest, selfish person. The initiator of an immoral relationship is looking to use somebody. They are not looking for a spouse. It's deception. Verse 11, she's boisterous and and rebellious, and her feet do not remain at home. The father is making the point to his sons that when you enter into and you initiate an immoral relationship, you are very likely, almost in every case, not where you should be and not doing what you should be doing. Verse 12 of chapter 7 She is now in the streets, now in the squares, and she lurks by every corner. The father has taken his sons to watch this transaction happen. And she doesn't have enough to do. Time on her hands, hanging out in places where there is potential to sin. Bars, clubs, websites, apps. Too much time on their hands. And it goes on, verse 13, she seizes him and kisses him with a brazen face. This speaks of an aggressiveness of the initiator of the immoral relationship. There is a leader in the relationship. There is an initiator. And that they are committed to the path. And then verse 21 of chapter 7 says, with her many persuasions, she entices him. With her flattering lips, she seduces him. And just to be sure I'm being clear here, It could say with his many persuasions, he entices her, and with his flattering lips, he seduces her. It goes both ways. It speaks of a persuasion and a flattery, and the point is it takes convincing to lead someone into sin when they know better. Let me say that again. The point of this 
the wisdom of this that the father is passing along to his sons is that it takes convincing to lead someone who knows that sin and to lead them into that sin anyway. It's an amazing statement. It's an amazing picture. I hope you got the picture. I hope you didn't see yourself in that picture. But when you're talking about immoral, physical relationships, there is usually one party who is leading the other into sin. And the Bible is not flattering. Now go back to chapter 5, or actually just go back to chapter 6, verse 26, and I want to run through really quickly how the other participant is described. The, someone, the, the person, male or female, who is being led into that sin. The Bible's not flattering. Verse 26 of chapter 6. For on account of a harlot, one is reduced to a loaf of bread. No one when they were little rose their hand and said, I want to be evil. No one when they were little rose their hand and said, I want to be a loaf of bread when I grow up. That's how you're described if you are drawn into and led into immorality, a loaf of bread. Verse 32, the one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. Lacking sense. He who would destroy himself does it. You lack sense and you're destroying yourself. You know, let me give you the modern day translation of that. You're dumb. You're clueless. You're self-destructive. This is an entirely different message than you get from our culture today, isn't it? I'm shocked, and I realize I'm old, but I'm shocked when I occasionally, on the rare occasion, watch a television show. There is not a television show that I've seen in a long time that doesn't mock the truth of what you're hearing right now. Chapter 7, verse 7, And I saw among the naive and discerned among the youths a man lacking sense. Again, we're describing the person who is led into this kind of sin. There's two kinds of foolishness, and this is a really important point. This is a very important verse. There is the naive, and there are those who lack sense. And let me describe the difference. The naive are ignorant. They don't know it's sin. They don't know better. They have no idea concerning uh, or concern that sex outside of marriage is a problem. I saw among the naive, and I discerned, discerned among the youths a man lacking sense. The naive doesn't know any different. And nor, in 20 years ago, wouldn't have spent a lot of time on this. I marvel in our culture how many people do not know this is sin. It is so acceptable now. Do not be the naive. I don't think you are. I don't think you were, but if you were, you aren't anymore. Those lacking sense, those are the ones who know it's wrong. The naive don't know it's wrong. Those lacking sense know it's wrong, and what do they do? They do it anyway. They're not ignorant. They think somehow that they're immune to the consequences or don't care about them. We call that being reckless. I'm going to be led into the sin, and somehow I don't think the consequences are going to apply to me. 
chapter 7, verse 8. It says, passing through the street near her corner, and he, well, I'll start up at verse 7 and reread that. I saw among the naive and discerned among the youths a young man lacking sense, passing through the street near her corner, and he takes the way to her house. He is not where he should be, and he is not, and he is where he should not be. And he knows it. He has made that decision, it says, and he takes the way. That is the moment of consent. He takes the way. Shared culpability. There is not blame more on one than the other. The one who leads into sin has a, a culpability, and the one who chooses to follow into that sin has culpability. It is sin. Again, we're talking about the person who follows into sin. Two more verses. Chapter 7, verse 21 says, With her many persuasions, she entices him. With her flattering lips, she seduces him. This is not an excuse. It removes no culpability. You cannot say, I was led into it. I was duped. I was um, persuaded. That does not matter. It is willingly complicit Someone being willingly complicit with the many lies of soothing words and flattery, it is someone wanting to believe that the flattery is true. It's foolishness. And I love verse 22. He follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter. Have you ever seen cows going to the slaughtering chute on a farm? They walk along. It's a beautiful day. They're as happy as can be. That's what he's describing here. It's a cow going to slaughter. The walk is fun. It's peaceful. You're with your friends. It's even beautiful. And you're heading for this chute that leads them to be slaughtered. So what are the results of this? Well, the results are devastating. Go back to Proverbs chapter 5. And I realize I'm being very serious this morning. I hope I am fairly representing Scripture. Scripture is serious. The consequences are astounding. Chapter 5, verse 4, But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood. That term, wormwood, is used eight times in the Old Testament, and every time it's associated with bitterness, poison, and death. The, in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. The idea of a two-edged sword is it damages you going in and it rips you some more coming out. It's the ultimate in damage and pain. Verse 5 of chapter 5, her feet go down to death, her steps take hold of Sheol. Chapter 5, verse 9, you give your vigor to others and your years to the cruel one. That speaks of the regrets and the sadness after immorality. Chapter 5, verse 10, it says, Strangers will be filled with your strength, and your hard-earned goods will go to the house of an alien. Your strength and your wealth will be diminished. And you may not make that connection right now or understand that. Some of you come from a divorced home. You understand it. Especially if it's the result of immorality, there is a divorce, and now the wealth of that home is split into two. Very practical wisdom. Verse 11 of chapter 5. 
and you groan at your final end, when your flesh and your body are consumed. This is speaking, I'm just going to be very practical here. This is speaking to things like STDs. Back in the 80s, the big deal was AIDS. There is physical complications and physical consequences of this behavior. And there's the, the work and the stress of covering up and maintaining an illicit relationship so that it doesn't go public. It's as old as time. Psalm 38 speaks of this. David, after his own illicit relationship, his own immoral relationship, said, O Lord, rebuke me not in your wrath and chasten me not in your burning anger, for your arrows have sunk deep into me. Your hand has pressed down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin, for my iniquities are over my head. I've gotten in way over my head, he says. As a heavy burden, they weigh too much for me. My wounds grow foul and fester because of my folly. Remember Proverbs chapter 1 that we looked at last night? The consequences of foolish behavior? There's an example. Chapter 5, verse 12 says, And you say, How have I hated instruction in my heart spurned reproof? When you enter into this sin and come out the other side, this is what happens. There's a reflection. I hated instruction. My heart spurned reproof. I have not listened to the voice of my teachers nor inclined my ear to my instructors. I was almost in utter ruin in the midst of the assembly and the congregation. This is the regret and the acknowledgement that you knew better, and everybody does. It's the shame of admitting the people you ignored, that you scoffed at, that you mocked, were right. This is Proverbs 1 in action. Chapter 5, verse 21. For the, eyes, for the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all his paths. His own iniquities, verse 22, will capture the wicked and he will be held with the cords of his sin. He will die for lack of instruction and the greatness of his folly he will go astray. God sees it all. Some of you are concerned about other human beings knowing what's going on in, your, in the privacy of your own sin. And the point here is that the father is making to the son is God knows it all. And man falls into the trap of his own making, and God sees it all. Chapter 6, verse 27. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes and not be burned? Or can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? Folks, if you're involved in the sin, you're playing with fire, and the burns hurt and have long-lasting effects. You can be healed of a burn, but you'll always have a wet, a scar. Verse 29 of chapter 6, So is the one who goes into his neighbor's wife, whoever touches her will not go unpunished. That is an Old Testament statement of what it says that I read to you from 1 Thessalonians. God will judge. The only uncertainty is the nature of that punishment. Chapter 6, verse 32, The one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. He, would destroy him. he who would destroy himself does it. You want to destroy your life? Do that. Verse 34 of chapter 6. For jealousy enrages a man, and he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will not accept any ransom, nor will he be satisfied, though you give many gifts. 
you're messing with somebody else's spouse. You can, in the last two weeks, go find very prominent stories of the uncovering of an affair and the husband goes and kills people. Or the wife, just the other day, kills her husband. Or kills um, the woman that he was having the affair with. This is real life. He, this is ancient scripture. He's talking to his sons a couple thousand years ago. It's in the news today. It's what happens. Chapter 7, verse 23. And t- Let's see, verse 23. Until an arrow pierces through his liver. He follows her in verse 22. As an ox goes to slaughter, as one in fetters, the discipline of a fool. Verse 23. Until an arrow pierces through his liver, as a bird hastens to the snare, so he does not know that it will cost him his life. You're just another number. You initiate or follow into this sin. It's the storm that we talked about last night from Proverbs 1. It's coming. I love the snare, the picture of the snare. I don't know if you know what a snare is. Um, I have a son-in-law who's really good at killing things. He's a sniper, special forces. He's done a couple tours of duty. He showed me how to use a snare to kill rabbits. I know, I kill ants and rabbits. Isn't that terrible? Rabbits are rodents. And they eat everything. And he showed me this snare. And the snare is, it's a piece of metal that comes down and it loops around. It's visible. You can completely see it. It's a noose. How many of you would knowingly put your head in a noose? Okay? Nobody. You know what rabbits do? They see the snare. And you know what they do? They run right through it. And what does the snare do? With the weight of the rabbit, it closes the noose. It's, rabbits are foolish. And the picture here is that those who would enter into sexual sin, they see the snare, and what do they do? They put their head in the noose, and they hope nobody pulls it. Is that foolish? I think that's foolish. That's the picture that the father is drawing for his son. Now, I haven't probably told you anything you didn't already know. Sex outside of marriage is sin. You knew that when you walked in here. You may not have known all the ways the Bible describes the person who leads another person into that sin. You may not have known that if you follow someone into that sin, you're a loaf of bread. And you may not have known the surety and the certainty of consequences of that sin or you may not have known how graphically the Bible describes those consequences, but I would venture to say most of what I have told you so far is not news to any of you. So why is this such a temptation? Why is this such a prevalent, overwhelming sin on the college campus? Because we're sinners. So I want to give you some, I want to finish here really quickly with some wise warnings for guarding your purity out of Proverbs 5, 6, and 7. I'm just going to give you um, seven words. And if you just wrote these words down, you have the basis to go talk to your small group leader, to your staff, to ask questions. I'm available afterwards. I would love to talk to you about this if you have questions. This is a serious area. The ability to walk down the aisle with your future spouse and to look them in the eye 
and know you have nothing to hide is such a blessing. It's such a gift. The first word is consequences. Consequences. Remember, I read about wormwood, which is another word for poison. Giving your strength and wealth to strangers. There's a lot of guilt. There's a recognition of your own foolishness, like we talked about in Proverbs 1. Wisdom mocks you when you walk out of a relationship like this and you look back and you see, what a fool I was. A lot of regret. Actions have reactions. And in concert with what we said in our last session together, if you don't want the consequences, you must not put into play the circumstances that will lead to the actions that will lead to the consequences. Purposeful living. If you didn't raise your hand and say, I want to be a loaf of bread or I want to be evil, Make the decisions now that keep you out of the circumstances that will lead you to the sin that will cause you to be called a loaf of bread. Be purposeful. Be careful. There's consequences. Don't fall into the trap of your own making. Do not look at that snare and like a rabbit assume you can get through it without somebody pulling the weight. Second word, truth truth. Immoral sexual relationships are not based in truth. They are based on lies. Ladies, a guy tells you he, he loves you and he wants to have a physical relationship with you. He is lying to you. Unless he is your husband, he does not love you. You know, you, you heard the terms cunning of heart. That, that is a classic description of, of uh, dishonesty. Immorality is all based on a fantasy. You should not believe everything you hear, the oily speech and the tongue dripping with honey and the flattering lips. This is all the fantasy world of illicit sexual relationships. Purity is based in truth. Starting with the truth of the Word of God. Remind yourself of what you know. Stay with what you know. Stay with truth. Truth will guard you. It's all over Proverbs. Third term, pleasure. Again, I'm giving you wise warnings for shepherding and, and stewarding your purity. The third term is pleasure. You don't want to measure your status in life by the pleasantness of the walk while you're heading to the slaughter. Sin is fun. Satan knows that. And if you live life like that, you're living life like a cow. So I'm calling you all kinds of names today. The Bible is calling us all kinds of names today. And I wanted to make sure I conveyed those names so that you deal with in advance how the Bible views this. Sin is pleasurable. It's fun. It can be beautiful along the way. It's satisfying for a time. And Satan's big lie is that life is about your comfort and your pleasure. Our culture's lie is that life is about your comfort and your pleasure. And this lifestyle, for a time, fits right into that. Wisdom understands that is not so. Life is not about my comfort and my pleasure. Pleasure in sin is wormwood, it's poison. 
Pleasure and obedience results in peace and blessing. Okay? So, consequences, truth, pleasure. The fourth term is rebuke. And you heard this term a lot last night when we talked. Um, I want to say this, and this might seem hard, but I'm going to be blunt because other people have been blunt and the Bible is blunt. If you have fallen in this area, one of the things we like to do when we sin is we like to rush to grace. I've been forgiven. And that's true. But I don't think you should skip over the description that you are a loaf of bread, you lack sense, you're self-destructive, you're naive, you're lacking sense, and you're like a cow. Yes, you're forgiven. What we learned in the first session is embrace the meal of the consequences. And I know this is hard. But so often we want to move past the sin and say, I'm forgiven, I don't want to talk about that anymore. Some of you need to sit down and maybe have a conversation about that sin you've been forgiven for. But what have you changed in your life and in your thinking that, will, that means that you will not in the future again be a loaf of bread, that you do not today still lack sense? That self-destructiveness, that naivete, you need to receive the rebuke of the description in Scripture and remain in it, endure it, embrace it. Like I said last night, eat that meal. That's what it says in Proverbs 1. The fool goes right by that meal and races right to the joy of forgiveness. And I'm not trying to steal your joy of forgiveness. In fact, you are forgiven. And that is amazing, amazing kindness on God's part, that forgiveness. But from a practical standpoint, of, of um, being a good steward of your purity from here on out, eat that meal. Understand what the Bible's saying. Okay? Fifth term is accountability. You should be where you're supposed to be, and you should not be where you should not be. And I don't probably have to get terribly specific with this. You all know what I mean. Um, you know, it referenced about not being where you're supposed to be in the streets, in the squares, lurking in the corners, passing through the street near her corner. He takes the way to her house. All of that description is referring to a man in that scenario who is not accountable. He has a lot of free time and nobody knows what he's doing. Accountability is driven by stewardship and a sense of the purpose and mission, not fear. Don't be accountable because you're afraid of sin only. Be accountable because you want to aggressively, aggressively be a good steward of the purity that God has given you to protect. Sixth term is conscience. It talks about she entices him, she persuades him, she entices him. If you're being convinced to sin, you're violating your conscience. The fact that someone led you into it does not absolve you of your responsibility. You're violating your conscience, and it's as dumb as disconnecting the gas gauge on your car and assuming you're never going to run out of gas now because the needle's never going to go to E. Do not blow past your conscience. Sin is a choice. It's your choice. Proverbs 1.10 says, If sinners entice you, do not consent. 
That is your culpability. It's on you. Number seven, humility. And we'll finish with this. Humility. You know, it's constantly what I read you, and I know we went through it really fast, and I hope you go back and read Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 again to put it all together. We just don't have time to do that this morning, but constantly through that whole narrative, humility is absent. It speaks of the boisterous person, the rebellious person. These are descriptions of pride. Being seduced fuels your pride. Going along with the fantasy fuels your pride. You can only be flattered if you believe on some level that the words are true. Do you understand what I'm saying? If someone is flattering you, it means nothing to you if you know the truth. But if you part the truth and you believe on some level that that flattery is true, that is the first step towards heading for bad things. Colossians 3.5 says to put off immorality impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed. But what does it say to put on? It says basically to put on humility. It it looks like this, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. All of those are the opposite of pride. You want to avoid sexual sin? Put on humility. Know who you are. Why would the Bible instruct us to put on humility? It's because immorality is driven by human pride, selfishness, greed, and self-satisfaction. Those are not the characteristics of a humble person. God created you, and he created me. He makes the rules, and his rules are that purity is to be saved for your spouse. And you are called to a stewardship of that gift, and it's for your good and God's glory. And we've seen, I hope you've seen this, through some heavy-duty passages that it is for your good. You want to avoid all of those bad things? Stay away from sexual sin. But your decision to violate these simple rules will bring down on you consequences and grief, the nature of which is articulated in Proverbs 5, 6, and 7. And with the five and a half decades I've been on this planet, I have seen it over and over and over. I implore you to live according to the purpose for which your creator puts you on this earth. Live a blessed, content, guilt-free life. And I said that we were going to come back to 1 Corinthians 6, and I feel compelled to do that, even though we're out of time. That passage I read where it says um, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, but verse 11 says, Such were some of you, you were washed, you were sanctified, You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. Those of you here in this room who know Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 is true from your own personal experience. I told you to to, uh, um, um, eat the meal of the consequences of that, and that's wisdom. But no, be reminded here right now that for those who are saved, you came from that, There is salvation by grace. And there are some of you who are in this lifestyle now, maybe, who aren't saved. There is forgiveness. There is grace. You can be washed. You can be sanctified. Can you believe that? With a background like Proverbs 5, 6, and 7, you can be made holy. You can be sanctified. You can be justified. And none of this is by you. 
or me. It's all done for you and to you. As it says in that verse, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of, of our God. What an amazing salvation. What amazing, amazing grace. Please stay out of this sin. For those of you that have been there, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for your salvation. For those of you that are in it now, please don't look at that snare and believe for a second it's not going to close around your neck. Get help. Be wise. 